Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following was excerpted from a Zoom session of Dharma Dialogues, which was broadcast from Australia on July 5th, 2020. It's called Bearing Witness. I invite you to join us for any of the upcoming Zoom sessions held on the first and third weekends each month at different time zones across the two weekends to accommodate you wherever you are in the world. These sessions have been particularly supportive in the time of COVID in providing a community who is considering the deeper aspects of this journey on which we find ourselves. So don't be shy about being on the call. You don't have to speak if you don't want, but it is helpful to see and hear friends around the world who will likely speak to your own matters of the heart. One of my friends said to me on the phone this past week that the happiest time of his life was was when his children were young. Because in addition to the joy of being with his children and all that goes with that, uh, the, the general delight of having children around, he was he said that he was freed from having to think about himself which is definitely a much more pleasurable (laughs) situation, not having to think about yourself all the time. And having children is a very effective way of, of, of having that happy occurrence. And perhaps we know those people, those of us who are parents and whose children are now grown, you can maybe notice the difference, right? It's, in addition to not having their good company and their sweet company and their energy, um, there might be a lot more focus on, well, me, right? What about me? I would propose there's a way to direct the mind such that you're watchful for a lot of obsession on what I call all the time the me story. As long as you're rolling in the me story, things usually are not going well. (laughs) It's basically what I like and what I don't like. Those are the themes. And there's a whole lot of subjects we can put in either of those categories. I like, I don't like. Or how does this situation relate to me? How does this affect me? Right? So... There is a possibility, and it's really a habit, to de-link from that kind of obsessive flow of thought. It doesn't mean you have to have it never arise. That's fairly impossible. But you can become much more uninterested in the material. Just as as it's arising, you're just not that interested, right? You're just not. It's usually repetitive, even though the scenery changes in your, in your story. The scenery changes a bit. The storyline is awfully familiar, right? It's like seeing remakes of the same movie every day. <laughs> so <laughs> so to, to understand that that way of living and that kind of obsession is not it's not going to lend to mental well-being. And it's easy enough to redirect the attention. It's easy enough to just move the attention into present awareness or into some form of gratitude or into some sort of service. And that service might be as simple as reaching out to an old friend by email and just saying, just thinking of you, how are you doing? Something little even, right? It's amazing how many opportunities there are for those kinds of of offerings. And it's also kind of amazing how sometimes we put off doing them. We have the intention perhaps I spoke last night on the Zoom session about how often it's happened to me during this pandemic time 
that I've actually reached out to people that I've been meaning to reach out to for frankly years in some cases that I've, you know, since I've moved to Australia, I've lost touch with a lot of old friends just by, you know, the way that geography can do that. Um, even though we live in an interconnected world, there's a, it's difficult to kind of keep up with everybody everywhere you've ever lived and so on. And how good it has felt to, to be in touch with people who had lived very strongly in my heart all along. So there's a way to, to both in a very practical way and in a kind of psychological or um, sort of mentally directing way to free yourself from this constant story about me. What do I think and what do I like and where did I go and where am I going and my dramas and this one and that one did this and that and um, right? It's, it's exhausting to even call up the list. And some people just live in that all the time. We know them. We know people whose story is just all about themselves all the time. I always sense that as a desperation. And I try my best to have compassion for it, but I have to admit it is wearisome. It's a wearisome thing to experience with people. One can only imagine how wearisome it is to live it all the time. So for ourselves, we can really allow for this, this big me story to fade into, you know, some historical <laughs> photo book or something. And again, it's not to say that the story doesn't arise. It arises on its own. I'm speaking about giving it interest, feeding it, making it your primary subject. really nice to be here. I guess um, I, I love looking into kind of evolutionary psychology and biology and I guess oh, I our interest <laughs> and our interest in ourselves, I think comes from that like incessant need to survive mm -hmm. and I'm just wondering how you sort of perceive that in your understanding of the world because I think that's where a lot of my when I do get in that more like anxious self-obsessed it, it feels like it's coming from a survival mode it's like a fight or flight instinct more than anything else and I guess how do you separate yourself from that something that is biologically hardwired into our system uh, well I don't separate myself I, I understand that it's just there and I accept mm. it um, and I and like you I find evolutionary psychology fascinating um, I think it also helps to make more impersonal the me story, when you understand that certain things are hardwired that we don't really have a lot of control over. The whole autonomic nervous system, the whole reptilian brain operation, and even the limbic, which is more kind of the emotional realm, um, you know, that animals have, that we share with other mammals, you know, that's all, that's all quite on its own operating systems, you know. Mm. So, I do find it fascinating. And what I like to say is that we have just this little tiny rudder of where we can direct mm. our attention, right? Mm. So when you have something huge arising, a fight or flight, which arises in the biological system on its own, now all you can do with that is move your attention around. Mm. Right? Now, the more... Uh, facile you are with moving your attention, the more you'll be able to calm the system down. Mm. And depending on your own nature, that might take a shorter or longer period than it might for someone else. Mm. Some people who perhaps have higher tendency to anxiety, mm. even when they do direct their attention, it, it might take a while for it to things to calm down. Um, and that's just to be expected. You don't have to worry about how long it takes. Um, even though 
you, you just suffer it a little longer if you're someone who <laughs> it takes longer for. But um, uh, there, there's no, um, yeah, there's there's no. I think there's no expectation that would one one would need that these things don't arise. They just do. So there is no separation. And I, I'm very, very averse to transcendent philosophies that promise some kind of freedom from the arising of fear, the arising of greed, uh, the arising of hatred. Okay. I, I, I have not seen it. And I was looking around for a long time for that. <laughs> but I have not come across it. Um, uh, some more than others might have uh, a diminishment of those characteristics. The main thing, though, is for people who do have those arisings and who are well-steeped and trained in directing their minds, they usually don't act on them. Mm-hmm. They don't speak out of those states of mind, and they don't act. And if they happen to, if that might happen in some small way or whatever they rectify right they mm-hmm. they immediately they immediately look to to assuage the situation whether by apology or make some other motion to kind of change the situation um that that's a that's a lovely consequence of being very very habituated in this way of being because you have a pretty immediate feedback loop when something doesn't feel right. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a weight in your heart that stands out because otherwise your heart isn't so weighty, right? It really, it stands out in high relief because your heart isn't just a jumble of nonsense and craziness and regrets and stories and obsessions and greed and all the rest of it it's a much more clear open space and so when some conditioned darkness arises in you and usually that's not a problem because you don't nothing happened you just let it go on but if some does and some action or words are spoken out of it the blowback for you Right, because you're so sensitive. Like I sometimes use the example. I often say that ethics are actually written in our heart. You don't need to learn them, and the ones that are written in our hearts are actually more demanding than all the ethical systems that I know of, which usually are handed down through religious systems. Often, um, not always, but. The ones that have to do with how to be a a decent person and a kind person and someone who's empathic to another's circumstance, those are there. If you can just, if you just find this quiet space in which you hang out, they're already there. It's already written in bold. And, And so what I notice when let's say as an example you're in in company of some sort back in the days when we used to be able to hang out with humans um you're in some sort of company and you say something you make a joke at at the at the slight expense of your friend maybe it's not even that big a deal right it's not it's not an attack on their character it's something else some mild minor thing but you notice that there's a there's a flash of embarrassment on your friend's face and that they're that they're they're laughing isn't real a real laugh it's a laugh of embarrassment in your heart that is recorded as something you would rather not have done and that you might make a note to self that you're not wanting to do things like that again so it's like you're you're relying on your own feedback system of this way that you use your attention to keep you on track. And you also have to allow in that whole equation that there are things that are highly conditioned in us Mm. that we just have some, a lot of it we have no control over. 
like anger can arise. You know, I've often said, I, I believe we have come from a long line and you studying evolutionary psychology certainly know this, a very fierce, lusty, often violent um, ancestors. They were the mm -hmm. tough ones who made it through. They were really tough and we've got their genes. And so what we do have though is the phenomenal privilege of having had access to Dharma teachings and ways to use our attention, learning how to use our attention. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the gathering. <laughs> um, in relation to what you were, you're talking about in terms of that self-talk and the I stuff, um, I wonder a lot about my um, um, need or desire to uh, share what I struggle with, which is, I suppose, mostly about I, um, with others and to express it, like, creatively. Um, and it feels like it, like, keeps unwinding that I get relief from sharing it. Mm -hmm. And so... If, when I listen, when I hear you speaking about it, like not to focus on it, then sharing with others is like focusing on it. And it, I'm not sure if by, you know, it will diminish if I stop sharing. I don't know. The, the impulse, to, it's almost like um, um, the need to relieve myself in the toilet <laughs> is <laughs> similar to relieve myself in my mind and heart. Mm -hmm. especially when it comes out creatively it doesn't seem like such a bad thing because it seems to entertain people um but when I do it with friends and I just when you said people like that are difficult to be around who are talking about themselves um I just I just um I'd just like to know what you think about that Okay. Um, first of all, I think that you're sharing it creatively in your perform performance art is an incredibly both, um, it's a great offering for others because it's often so universal and, you know, so much what everyone struggles with. And I also think that it's probably cathartic for you, like you say, to get it out, just to get it out. But I would ask you, how is it to live with it internally in an ongoing way? Like, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it exactly, but it's just that it's a suffering. It's a state of suffering. And I also would ask you if when you're just casually with your friends, and I'm not talking about sometimes one has to share that you're going through something and you have to talk about your I story in those cases, but if you're with just your friends who you've known a long time, is that, is that way of relating, just hanging out, how, how does it feel to just only want to talk about yourself to them, not in a performance context, but just in a social context? It makes me not want to talk to my friends because I don't want to, I don't want to see that in myself. I don't want to hear it. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I'd much rather go to a gallery and share a piece of art, you know, like, rather than what I'm thinking about. But the need for the relief is really strong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and if I avoid people because it keeps coming up in conversation and I don't really want to hear this stuff so much either, so I don't want to hear it and I don't want to speak it. But mm. it, it just feels, you know, at a time where I need the contact most, I avoid it because I don't want, it just feels like a knot. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I mean, what's coming to me to say, honestly, is that you have an incredible outlet. Now, granted, we're, we're locked down right now, but maybe there's some other way to, for you to do it online or something. But anyway, you do have um, an outlet and an, and an incredibly insightful expression, I, I say, because I saw your performance once in, in Melbourne. Um, 
that is a great gift. And if you feel that your being in company makes you uncomfortable because you don't feel like talking about anything else, then it's okay to not be. You can be alone. And if you get too tired of being alone, then you find one or two people who you know are going to want to hear this, want to hear your story, want to feel privileged to have a personal, private performance of sorts. So then, you know, the main thing I want to say to all of us is to give you permission to be yourself and to live your own authentic, completely unique, Punjaji used to say, a path so narrow too cannot walk abreast your own narrow path of what this life is. Um, what I'm saying today is there are ways to direct the attention that will snap you out of it, hopefully, out of this kind of constant story of rumination, right? There are ways you can, like I said, reach out, do some kind of help for someone else. And, but, I mean, I do, I do really honor that your work is of benefit. It is of sort of spiritual benefit and psychological benefit for others. And it gives permission <clears throat> to a, for a kind of honesty, which you really have a mastery in, a kind of honesty about your internal landscape. I just would propose, and you're, and you're actually saying this, that having to constantly live in that internal landscape on the same kind of themes gets tiring. So there's ways to move your attention elsewhere. Mm. And, that, and that's all you would need. To, that's my only adjustment that I would say for you is to just start moving your attention elsewhere off of the story and use the story for your art and use it maybe sometimes for your best friends who all love to hear it and just kind of keep it in balance. I hear you saying everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying... That's, that's it is in a sense. Yeah, just, well, I, I'm saying everything's fine and, and just notice that. Um, yeah. Just basically accept. Like I said last night, a big part of the conversation was about acceptance to, of your own self, dignifying your own life. You're so unique, as we each are, right? Yeah. And so you don't have to make any apologies or is any any of my suggestions about redirecting your attention is simply just to alleviate you from having to suffer it too much yeah i, I tend to um um take information in in the type of all or nothing type you know uh, my, my response is quite intense and oh you can't do that you know it's it's a lot, what you're saying is a lot more gentle than the way I receive it, in a sense. <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, like it's a package and I sort of know the package, but when you pull one individual thing, thought out from the package, and then, oh, you know, that, so that shifts the balance of everything. But the, I really appreciate the way you reassure us and uh, mm-hmm. I really lo- love that phrase of dignify your individual experience of life yes yes i really appreciate that and thank you for all your beautiful support in my creative life oh i i've loved that i'd be i'd be your biggest fan if i got to live in melbourne (laughs) it's to me Catherine. say again it makes it means a lot to me thank you you're welcome dear Hi, the topic is so apropos to where I am right now um, because the me story is in all my boxes that I'm unpacking from 62 years on the planet and, you know, just finding so much of it and I get so overloaded and I, I find that I, I dawdle <laughs> away from it by making yeah. meals <laughs> and then cleaning up and just to just to just not have to look at the me story. Um, but it's also pertinent because, you, you know, in terms of uh, wanting to direct my attentions elsewhere, 
you know, I'm in Miami Beach and uh, we have huge numbers, you know, uh, I mean, such a spike going on now and people are not being cautious and I'm living in a new, a brand new uh, community and nobody wants to know me, you know, suddenly. Um, I came here because there were so many classes and there was such a social curriculum. I was able to become a wee story suddenly when I first came down. Yeah. And that's why I chose to buy this apartment. And literally, you know, a few weeks later, the pandemic happened and we can't mingle. And I find that everybody's, everybody's orbit is just shrinking to the known, the known relationships, you know, people that have known each other for 20 years or even seven, you know, that have, uh, that have a story together already. <clears throat> and, you know, the fact of the matter is I can smile and say hello uh, and, and people will respond to that smile, but not always. I mean, only, only within the apartments, you know, when I'm on, when I'm on the boardwalk, everybody looks as though you're threatening their life. So don't you have to wear masks or not? We do. We did. It just two days ago became, became a regulation that whenever we're outside, we have to wear masks until then, if we were out outdoors on the boardwalk and there was no, not enough people, you know, not many people around, many of us would take our mask off. Um, but and even then you can see more of the scowl, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with because people are afraid, people don't know each other, you know, it's a, it's a big city. Yeah. And I have not, I've made some friends and we try to, I'm, I've made some friends in the dance classes, but now we're doing it online. But again, these people have known each other for a decade and I'm the newcomer and I'm no longer on, on the docket for them. So it becomes such a me story. It, it's, and then I obsess in that, why have I, you know, I may need a plan B. <laughs> you know, even though I've just moved here, I may be packing up again, you know, because yeah. I don't have a support system. Um, yeah. And I don't see one evolving. I mean, people are saying, well, it's going to change. Yes, it's going to change. But life has, life, the baseline of life has just changed dramatically. Yeah. And it's not going to go back to where we were. Um, at least not for a community, you know, a community like this, where you're arm in arm taking dance classes every day and all that. It's not, it's not going to have, I can't imagine it's going to happen like that. So, so the me story is really, I am just like choking on it right now. Mm. Mm. Yes. Okay. Well, it certainly does seem that, that this is the time for some kind of deep patience because where can you even run to, right? You, you, you would have to go somewhere else in America since Americans now are not allowed to go anywhere else practically. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing it's a nice big country. But, you know, then, then the, you just trade off different sets of problems, right? You could maybe think to go to some tiny dinky town somewhere that you actually also don't know anyone. Or you can... Just say to yourself, this is what it is for now, right? And just really sink into the simple pleasures of your day. You're very fortunate, of course, to have your own place, to have food, you have safety. What you're missing is a sense of cozy community. I'm missing that too, other than my Zoom sessions, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's you know... <laughs> um, that it, this is a different time and we've got to just wait this out and adjust. And I'd say the quicker one adjusts in this, the less you will suffer about it, you know, to kind of think that, again, I spoke about it last night. Part of what torments us is the disparity between what we think should be happening and what actually is happening. That's where we get the, the misery. So if you just say, okay, I've got this very cool apartment in Miami Beach. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, 
I'm just going to kick back. I'm going to do online dance classes. I'm going to maybe study this or that. I haven't been able to get to. Or like I'm suggesting, find some way to be helpful. Any old simple way, you know, maybe um, even uh, if you do pass any of your neighbors, just say, you know, if, if ever you'd like me to pick something up while I'm out, let me know. Here's my number or my email. Um, so things like that, just you have to kind of get creative and set aside as best you can the story of what you wish were happening. The wish, the, the wish for what, is, what should be happening that is not happening is itself a misery. If you turn it around and just say, I fully accept this is what it is. I am one of the lucky ones on planet Earth, like one of the really lucky ones, you and I and all of us here are. Even though you're in a country that's not at all handled this pandemic well, but nevertheless, you have enough intelligence and wherewithal to keep yourself protected. Mm -hmm. Right? And I am convinced, having spent, I don't know how many, several hundred hours studying this this virus and all of the science day by day, I watch it, believe me. And um, I'm very convinced that if everyone wore masks when we were out, we would be pretty protected. Mm-hmm. And it may come to that until something else can be figured out. And also being outside wearing a mask is quite safe. So to really kind of be grateful for these, these small advantages that we do have and I understand of course that as human animals we we like to be with our our little herd not everyone some people are natural loners and I mean that in an admiring way I, I fully appreciate people who spend a lot of time alone. I imagine that they live in very deep waters. I spend a lot of time alone. Mm -hmm. Um, So I understand how that is. But I, too, am much more of a social creature than I'm able to enact at this point. You know, my life was sort of a blend of being alone a lot, but, you know, having a, a dinner to look forward to or, you know, meeting someone somewhere at a particular gathering or, you know, looking forward to trips to Europe for retreats or to New Zealand, all those things are off the table. Now, very quickly, I realized I cannot torment myself with what might have been. Mm. That it's going to be, because that could go on and on and on and on. Um, you know, we may be in a circumstance where this is a long time. So, you know, that this goes on. So if that's the case, then we make these adjustments, make them now. And anyway, now you have a new group of friends to hang out with. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And also I would add, by the way, that Dharma friends and having them kind of clustered all together I mean, you could spend years in Miami and not have this many people on your wavelength, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there's that. That's a really great thing. That's a great benefit that we're able to, to have. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine, very much. You're yeah. welcome. Yeah. I connected to more things as the conversation's gone on. Um, I think it hinges around responsibility. Um, what I've been wondering is what are the bounds of my responsibility? What I notice is that I have this um, voracious appetite for world statistics mm. in the current situation. And it comes, seems to come from a place of needing to know what's going on. 
and this this event is so huge mm-hmm. that um and everywhere's going up and down at different times you know it's like mm-hmm. it's like a really long shakespeare play with uh, <laughs> you know ups and downs yes uh, one of the things that's gone through my mind is that connecting to evolutionary psychology is that at the time that we were maybe a lot more lusty and a lot more violent, um, the boundaries of our responsibility were very, very small. Mm. Yes, you know, good point. It just stretched to the village. Let's and if it, was, if it was a locality, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it was a king, it became history. Yeah. But it's not like that now. Um, that the, the, there seems to be no boundaries to the possibility of feeling responsible for this situation. And I really don't like it. It's one of the things that I'm trying to practice is just pulling myself back from that. Um, it's not quite an obsession, but it's some sort of restless need to know things that are not actually doing me very much good in the end. You know, and what I wonder is where my, where my boundaries are, you know. I think, though, that, I think that bearing witness doesn't have to assume a certain type of responsibility, right? Mm. Sometimes we're bearing witness to what has happened and what is happening. Mm. And we also see that we can do nothing about it in, yes. or not much, not much. We can maybe affect yes. some things around us. So it's to really put the idea of responsibility in its place. There's maybe some situations that you can yes. respond to and that you have the ability to respond to. Yes. But that you have a natural interest and maybe that's just what it is, to mm. watch your historical moment here on mm. planet Earth. Not everybody has that, actually. I also have that interest. I pay attention to the news. Mm. I have for a very, mm. very long time. I just have a fascination. It's, it's, it is like a Shakespearean play, um, mm. right? It's, it's comic and it's tragic, and it's mm. filled with all kinds of drama and all kinds of of human, um, the range of human, of the spectrum of consciousness, yes. it's fascinating. And I find it fascinating and I, I, I am kind of glued to it. Um, but I also see, I see it from a very impersonal vantage point. I mm-hmm. see that we humans have through evolution, we have come to the exact point that we were always headed. <laughs> and that's where, that's another place that people get really stuck in this okay. huge, if only story, if only this, and if only that, if only we'd taken this other turn, if only there hadn't been agriculture, which allowed us to overpopulate, if only we'd all learned to meditate, if only it had been matriarchal societies. It wasn't. This is this is what happened. This is the evolution that rolled out. And yes. it wasn't just one tiny change along the way. It was, quintri- it was countless, quintillions, mm-hmm. actually infinite numbers of probably of, not infinite, but quintillions, let's say, mm-hmm. um, of little motions along the way mm-hmm. that all piled up to get us to this spot. And mm-hmm. here we are. So it's a kind of uh, surrender not in apathy, but a surrender to, okay, now we are where we were headed. Hmm. Now what? Well, yeah, you can have some little responsibility because there are people in your life who rely on you for a certain steadiness and for kindness and for love. Hmm. You can just hmm. keep doing that as your responsibility. Hmm. Leave behind a fragrance of love when you go. Um, that's very nice good enough, really, <laughs> and, um, you know, good enough. Um, and in the meantime, 
you really don't have to justify your interest or justify your bearing witness. It doesn't have to be hooked to some gigantic action that's going to change the course of history. It's just a bearing witness. It's, it's not justification that I want. Um, I think what I'm noticing is that it's possible to get totally lost in it. I'm, I notice that yeah. if I ration the amount of news that I have every day, I yes. actually feel better. Yes, then I'm, I'm all totally with you there. I'm really, um, yeah. I, I am. Yeah, you have to sometimes treat it like an addiction and, and definitely yes. cut yeah. back. And I and think that's a really wise thing to do. And as far as family, well, for me, family relationship, I mean, that's one of the things that's happened, that my family relations have become clearly uh, much more uh, important. You know, mm-hmm. our mutual support has become yeah. much, more, much more important. But as a consequence of that, um, people are asking me questions. So I've, uh, part of the responsibility that I feel is to inform myself. I you see. Know, uh, you know, that, you know mm-hmm. the sort of uneasiness and like, how long is it going to go on like this? You know, do you think this is a good thing to do? Do you think that's a good thing to do? All of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I really liked what you said, and I I agree, and I think I've got to that place myself, that um, in the end, we just have to accept this moment in history and go with it. Yes. You know, there's absolutely no point in wishing something different had happened at some point in the past. This is it. Here we are. Here we are. Yeah. 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 I used to know you in Berkeley when you were at the Seventh Heaven. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um, my question you partially answered, and it kind of related to James. But um, I real I'm in such a privileged position. I live in Mendocino. It's beautiful. I have a partner here. I mean, so much is. I'm really lucky, Um, and. After reading your article about um, facing extinction, there's a part of me that's kind of given up on any activism. And then there's a part of me that's kind of scanning a little bit, feeling a little maybe guilty that things are so good for me and what can I do? And um, also the belief that you have to do something instead of, as you said, believe in prayer or sending meta to a person is is a very valuable action, but there's a kind of maybe hardwired part of me that thinks I should do something. That's my, although I really, I mean, I let go of a lot of doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, um, there's still plenty of doing that goes on as long as you're alive. And you're interacting with at least one other person we can see. Um, And perhaps you're connected to a larger community, even if at this point, mostly uh, on phones or on screens. Um, So there is, you know, you are, I would assume, getting up and about the day. Um, So make make your offerings freely given and not hooked to some outcome. Just whatever, whatever you're doing, so-called, in the day. And by the way, I did not say, I, I, I've never suggested prayer. <laughs> oh, well, well, I meant, yeah, okay. <laughs> right, anyway. Um, yeah. I'm not never, saying you did. <laughs> yeah, okay. It was, it was, it, I knew you actually didn't mean it that way, but it kind of came out that way. So I wanted to just clarify for other people. Yeah, I've never suggested prayer. And I've hardly ever suggested metta. <laughs> Um, um, so yes, I, I am much more about kind of living in that space in yourself. Like the only prayer that I could ever imagine is thank you and not to anything in particular, right? Just, you know, just as an expression of gratitude. 
Um, so in your just going about your day, um, make your efforts holy. I mean that by make them all just an offering. You know, if you're making a meal, even if it's just for yourself, right? Do it well. Do it, do it with precision and presence and gratitude. And the same with eating the meal. And all the little motions of the day, all of the moving through. Now, that's a high demand. You, obviously, many, many moments of the day, you won't be in that, in that kind of state. Mm-hmm. But if it's your intention to be there more, it will induce a lot of well-being, right? A lot of well-being, just every little thing. A, a lot of people are telling me um, they have gardens, and some people who have now gardens that they had never had a garden before, but they've decided this is not a bad idea at a time like this. And they're just talking to me about how wonderful it is to be working with plants, you know, and just, I, I have some plants growing on my decks and also in my yard, but I don't tend the ones in the yard. They're all wild, but the ones on the decks, I do tend. And I just love seeing new buds and new sprouts and new little, you know, just little surprising things coming up. And uh, it's, it's strangely exciting for, <laughs> for how simple and, you know, and basic it is. And so all of those things that, that you, can, you can make your own life sparkle in its own way, right? It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be some grand gesture for some other future time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if, if, if it is to be that, you don't actually have to have been planning it that way. It can kind of evolve that way. As so many beautiful things do, they grow on their own bit by bit, you know? So I don't know if this is helpful, but it's just my way of saying that one of the, I think frustrations for so many people at this time is that you know, things are going awry in many ways for lots of people. And there's a feeling of like helplessness or an, a kind of fiery burning thing of like, we've got to do something. My, I would say, keep, that, keep all of that very, very local, super local. Like whether it's just in your own family or in your community of friends in fact, speaking of bearing witness, I just yesterday got an email from some friends here, and they're starting a group called Bearing Witness Peer Group, and it's just going to be to hang out and and share share this. But this is just an example. You can find your own ways of having community in some form or other, um, and being helpful in that community. Um, in simple ways, and uh, and let that be enough. This big picture, like we're saying, this has been a juggernaut rolling for a long, long time. <laughs> and I don't personally. I mean, I, I I don't think any one election or person in power or new technology or I I, I doubt anything is going to much change the course. So let's see. Let's see what happens. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. This is, you know, this is great. Uh, great talking to you uh, after uh, after some time. Yes. And it's really good to hear, uh, you know, some of the questions and uh, and comments. And uh, you know, I I, uh, I I just want to share a little bit of uh, my struggle in this time right now. Yes. Uh, you know, a few uh, three years or so back, I made this uh, career choice uh, to shift into a business that was uh, uh, more friendly to environment. And you know, it, it, it my whole justification for making this big giant switch was that I was. 
uh, I think of myself as a more empathic person. And, you know, I, I feel empathy towards everything, you know, human beings and nature and animals. And I, I somehow wanted to do something that came out of that empathy. Uh, and yeah, but over the last, uh, you know, few months, especially since the pandemic has started, you know, this uh, business is uh, obviously facing some rough patch. And even before that, you know, being in this business, I had to do so many things and choices. They were not uh, related or they were not coming out of empathy. I had to push people to get things done. And, you know, recently I had to tell someone that uh, we won't be able to employ them. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was hard and I, I tried to make it as easy as possible. And I said, this is only temporary. And uh, now when that person calls, I, I struggle to even pick up their phone call. Mm-hmm. And uh, I uh, don't understand where to uh, draw the line. Um, or is it, is it, am I on the right track? Because, you know, originally I was trying to do something good, but so many things I do push people to get things done or, you know, tell them that we won't be able to employ. They just don't seem very empathetic. And I don't know where to draw the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes I just feel like maybe I should just go back to my old job. That was very easy. Someone told me what to do and I did it and went home at five o'clock and it was after that I could do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I, I've been fortunate enough to be in a home and, you know, where I have roof over my head and food uh, on my plate uh, that my struggle is far more abstract than other people. Uh, but still that struggle is real to me. <laughs> so sure. sure. And it's a very, um, it's a, a very kind reflection that you're having about the, the difference between your, your good intentions and then feeling sometimes when the, those, that the things you want are not being, you're not quite living them. But I would propose to you that when you're in service to a greater good, Sometimes you have to make hard decisions along the way and not everybody will be happy about them. And that's, I think every project that is in service to the greater good has those components. So it does take a certain um, alignment of heart in yourself to ask yourself, okay, I'm going to have to do something that's going to be perceived as a hurtful thing to the person who's not going to get what they want. In this case, not going to get the job or people who, as you say, you're having to kind of be a bit hard on them to get things done. They may, they may feel like a sting here and there, but whoops, I've lost your picture here. Hold on. Um, There you are. Um, But if you're, commitment to a bigger vision is strong, which I sense it is, you kind of have to sort of lash yourself to the mast to get it done. And there will be times and things that you have to to do and say that are, you know, that are not commensurate with your nature, where it just feels like you'd rather just be kind all the time and let everyone have what they want. So it, it may be, and you will see that it's too hard for you to do those kinds of things. And there's no shame in that at all. It may be that you don't want to have to say no to people and you don't want to have to dis- disappoint and you don't want to have to be the tough guy in order to have this bigger vision be enacted. But to have this deep commitment is quite beautiful. I, I you know, I can really sense that. And it's this is certainly okay also to have just a job in which you go home and the day is over and you're not having to live it all all the time so you'll know you'll know what you know again being true to your nature and making no apologies it's no failure either way it's just it's just a bowing to truth that's not a failure i've had to walk away from some things in my life um and I've had to see that it's like Gandhi said, my commitment is to truth, not to consistency. Mm. So, okay. Thank you. 
All right, dear. So good to see you. Back to what you were talking about at the beginning, I find there's a balance at times that's hard between talking about oneself and yet not. So I'm always, I'm so terrified of boring people that I'm always cutting to the chase and that they're always saying, wait a minute, you left out, you know, what is A, B, C, and D. And, and also I'm finding, maybe I'm noticing it more and re recently, but um, people, you can't get out more than 10 words before you're interrupted and then with the other story of me. And then I'm sitting there. <laughs> and it's just, I don't know if that's just increasing that nobody, people don't have anyone, as many people to talk to now or something. <laughs> and so I don't interrupt them. And why don't I? Because I'm sitting there angry that this has happened. Mm. Mm. You know, and mm -hmm. so it just ends up with, you know, feeling I just don't want to keep having these conversations. Mm. Yeah, well, um, I would also find that tedious um, yeah. if, if you're with people who don't listen and who just want to talk about themselves all the time, um, unless it's absolutely fascinating, right? <laughs> you know, if it's high drama in the Shakespearean play um, and has insight and all kinds of adventure in it. Um, um, but um, yeah, I, I understand. And you, you, you don't have to feel that you have to do that. I think one of the great skills in life, the skill of conversation, is knowing the rhythm of when to listen and when to talk and when to listen again and when to talk and to follow up and to say things that allow the person to know that you're actually hearing what they're saying. Right, yeah. That's a beautiful skill in life. And we, we love being around people who have that skill. Right, yeah. Um, and if you don't happen to be, um, if, if, you know, you can have, there's some, certain people in your life you're kind of stuck with, either they're old, old, long friends or they're a family, oh, right. sure. you know, and, and some of those people might have that kind of tendency, yeah. but in your own, you know, in your own uh, ch choice of who you're going to be speaking with, you can be more, um, I don't know, picky. I think also that, um, you know, this is not to make some sort of, um, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to speak about yourself in company. It is the right. way we share a story. And in many ways, it's the way that we let someone know, oh, I understand you. Here's something similar that I've gone through. Right, exactly. It's, it's yeah. a way of, of showing direct empathy through your own life, life experience. So. Right. I'm more talking about just when it goes into the really obsessional level where you just feel that you're standing in front of someone and all you are really to them is a pair of ears, you know, yeah. you're like a warm body with a pair of ears and whatever else about you is not that interesting to them. <laughs> you know, it's you're yeah. a listener, you know, and so, yeah, that gets kind of tiring. My goodness, it's wonderful to see you. It's maybe been 30 years. I can't remember. Wow. Back in Where Portland. You, you're in Portland. Okay, yes. Well, yes. I'm, in, I'm in Eugene, but I met you okay. in, at Brighton Bush. Oh, and then, Eugene. You were with Jean Chung. Yes, right. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Wow. And we went to India together to visit Papa G because of you two, which was a whole other adventure. Oh, my goodness. Great. But... Um, so here's the thing for me right now is that I work in a library. It's a public place. And we have been home uh, for three months. And during that time, I have sort of calibrated myself down to the level of what my essential humanness is without other humans. You know, working with the public is a particular challenge for me. I'm an introvert but I uh, pass well as an extrovert. Um, and so what's happening for me is that during the time that I've been here uh, by myself, working at home, uh, doing a lot of professional development, my heart is, is, it's like my chest is just opened and my heart is just so raw and open and it's beautiful. 
and I don't want to change it. But here I am going back to work. Um, we've just started with curbside hold pickup and, you know, the few people that are coming are also going through their own emotional stuff. And a lot of that is heavy, heavy anger and um, uh, a lot of fear. Yes. Uh, there's been fistfights. There's been uh, people screaming at each other. There's been, and I'm, I'm, I'm a person that's very, very good at, at conflict. I don't shy away from it. I really, um, uh, I, but I'm noticing how it's affecting me. Uh, in such a visceral way now that my heart is just really all the way open. And I don't want to close it up again. I'm realizing how much energy I had before for protecting myself, mm -hmm. you know, because people come and people go and they're horrible. Humans are pretty horrible, but I love them too. <laughs> and so what I've been thinking a lot about lately is about ways to be present and open in the face of, of the true desperation in the world right now. I don't mm -hmm. want to close off from it. I don't want to shy away from it. Uh, but it does take its toll. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on well, that when we're working about? with like direct, like it's, it's like a fire hose of, of emotion. Yeah. What my thoughts are is while I really appreciate your understanding and your wanting to stay very, very open, I do think that perhaps there are circumstances in which boundaries are appropriate and that you would have a certain kind of a, a gentle sort of veil around yourself of protection so that you move away from danger and you move away from taking a direct hit if possible of, of someone's rage that you don't have to be a martyr in this right you can have understanding from a distance if possible or even a psychological distance that it's fair to get out of the way of a storm right that's only only smart when a storm is coming you don't just stand out in the open and say, okay, I'm going to open to you, Storm, right? And, and you can see all of this in a very impersonal way, Melissa. You can see both their rage and desperation and fear impersonally and have great compassion. And you can see your own need for some withdrawal from that also with compassion, I'm not saying that you run away necessarily. I'm, I'm, I'm whatever these words mean to you and however it would play out. I'm just hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, a way that you might be making a demand on yourself to buck up and be in the fullness of your love. There's yeah, a, story, a story that one of my friends tells a true story of being in India in the early 70s. She was in a rickshaw in Calcutta coming back at the end of the day from the train station. She was going to see her teacher and a, a man left, it was actually a, a person drawn rickshaw um, and a man leapt from the crowd onto the rickshaw and was struggling with her for her for her bag and it was quite a struggle and somehow the rickshaw driver managed to get the guy off of her and she was really shaken with it really shaken so she gets to her teacher um, and she tells him this story and he says oh my dear with all the love in your heart you should have taken your umbrella and hit that man on the head <laughs> with all the love in your heart protect yourself <laughs> so, so something like that <laughs> yeah yeah i love that yeah. just a, a couple of comments i was talking with my neighbor yesterday and she was saying how Waking up every day 
was almost like a nightmare because it was the same as the day before, as the day before, as the day before. And I've heard this from other people, kind of like it's a groundhog day. There's no demarcation anymore between, um, you know, maybe the weekend and the weekday, especially if you're not working or if you're not going out and seeing friends and uh, doing what you used to do. And and I was just thinking about, you know, things are never going to be the way they were, and we don't know how they're going to going to be in the future. And what a great way to be in the present. You know, you're yeah. forced present. Yes, kicking um, and screaming, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, it just, it gives me the chill. So to, to just to, to think about um, how I used to live, uh, partially in the past, maybe more in the present and some, or more in the future, and then sometimes in the present. And now it's like, well, you know, tomorrow, I don't know what tomorrow is going to be like, but it might be a lot like today. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, a, what a liberating experience that is, um, mm-hmm. as hard as it is sometimes. Yeah. It, it feels very, uh, you know, we'll never go back to the way it was. Yeah, that's very likely. Yeah, you know, Gary, I've also been thinking about how we're living even though we live in very modern um, circumstances, but in a way, like people have always lived long ago. It was a kind of, each day had a similarity. And we've been used to this cornucopia of experiences and stuff to entertain ourselves endlessly and to dream about going anywhere we want, anytime we want. And all of that's off the table. But we are living now, like you're saying, in a much more, fully present there is something liberating about having a sameness to the day and a quiet and just it rolls out it's i'm finding it i I lose track of time of the days and the weeks and you know and and there's something very calming to my nervous system about that i'm not on the clock as much you know yeah thank you Um, This has been In the Deep. We invite you to join us for any of the online Zoom sessions, which occur four times a month over two weekends. You can see the schedule page at katherineingram.com for details. And if you feel moved to offer support for the podcast, please consider either a one-time or a recurring donation, which is tax-deductible in the USA. The donation button is on the top menu of every page of our website. You can also leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Till next time.